0: Thank you very much. You're listening to The Jazz Focus here on WETF, the jazz station in South Bend, Indiana. My name is John Clark, and thank you for joining us this week. And hope you're having a good week and enjoying some fine jazz. And we're going to be listening to the music of Coleman Hawkins today. Uh, We at The Jazz Focus like to focus in on... uh, a specific uh, recording session or, or time period sometimes, and uh, we're focusing on this particular band that Hawkins led uh, at the end of 1944 and into the beginning of 1945, and this is a good transition group between swing and bebop. We heard uh, two tunes uh, at the outset. We heard April in Paris and Riftide. Tide. April in Paris, of course, was composed by... Um, uh, Vernon Duke and Yip Harburg and Riftide was a Coleman Hawkins composition. This band was one that had been together in New York in the very late 1940s, December, played at the Three Deuces, uh, played around town a little bit, uh, and made a recording for Ash Records in January of 1945, and we're going to hear a couple of tunes from that session uh, before they left, right, at the, I think at the end of January, to go out to the West Coast. Uh, they were engaged to go out and play, I think, at Billy Berg's out in uh, Uh, Los Angeles, and also to do a film called The Crimson Canary, believe it or not, um, at the time. And they were out in uh, uh, California by... February of 1945. So this band, the one we heard on uh, those two tunes I just mentioned, consisted of Howard McGee on trumpet. Howard McGee was a uh, a very early bebop trumpet player, an African-American who'd uh, come under the sway of Dizzy Gillespie by way of Roy Eldridge. He'd played in several big bands. Andy Kirks, I think he'd also played with uh, Benny Carter for a while, before joining Hawkins, as I said, in the very last days of 1944. Coleman Hawkins, of course, on tenor sax, we'll talk about him a little bit later, Sir Charles Thompson uh, on piano, he had replaced Thelonious Monk, believe it or not. Monk uh, had issues, uh, lots of issues uh, personally, but also with performing in New York, uh, not having a cabaret card, That you know, those were issues that came a little bit later. Uh, I think he also was unwilling or unable to travel, so uh, Hawkins had to replace him knowing he was going to California. We had Oscar Pettiford on bass, uh, a great uh, and very uh, influential bass player who had... Uh, played or was about to go with Duke Ellington's band and had played uh, with his family band and made some uh, classic recordings on the West Coast and in New York at the time, and Denzel Best on drums. Added to this group uh, for this recording session, which occurred on February 23rd of 1945 for Capitol Records uh, in Los Angeles, was Alan Royce on guitar. Alan Royce was doing studio work out there. He had played with Benny Goodman's band, also with Paul Whiteman and uh, Jack Teagarden's band in the 1930s in New York, and had found his way out to the West Coast and was playing uh, in the studios where he remained, I think, for the rest of his life for another uh, 30 years or so. And uh, he was friends with Dave Dexter, who was the head of Capitol Records, who booked Hawkins to do this and two other recording uh, dates during the uh, winter and winter. Uh, into the very early spring of 1945 and so we have a rhythm guitar as well as some interesting guitar solos. He started out on April in Paris. So we're going to hear all 12 tunes that were recorded for Capitol Records in February and March of 1945, and uh, this was during, as I said, the uh, uh, residency that Hawkins had out uh, at Billy Berg's in California, in Los Angeles, and also during the time he was doing uh, the film The Crimson Canary, and there are a couple of tunes that we're going to hear that were uh, included in the soundtrack of The Crimson Canary as well. We're also going to hear in this next session the two tunes from the recording session that was done before they left New York on January 11th of 1945 for Ash Records. So we're going to uh, continue on now. We're going to hear uh, the ballad performance. Uh, Hawkins was of course noted as a great ballad performer and he did several on these uh, capital dates and he did a matchless version of Stardust which makes one think of his great recording of Body and Soul from 1939. We're going to hear Howard McGee play the verse and then Hawkins do about a chorus and a half in his best ballad style. Then after that we're going to hear a good riff tune called Stuffy, another Hawkins tune. As I said this uh, was a band that uh, was right on the uh, kind of the 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 razor's edge of swing and bebop. Hawkins was noted for being a very encouraging musician to younger musicians, and he um, himself uh, allowed his own playing to grow over the years, and uh, he was very receptive to the, the new things that were coming out of the bebop era. So after those tunes, we're going to hear two of the Ash recordings. We're going to hear a Sir Charles Thompson tune called Sportsman's Hop, which uh, to me has some some Thelonious Monk influence as well. I think uh, Thompson was influenced by Monk. Uh, He was... a player who'd been active since he was about 12. He uh, was born about 1918, so he was of the bebop generation. He lived to a ripe old age. He lived to be almost 100 years old. He had uh, moved to uh, Japan for the last 15 years of his life or so, and he died in Tokyo. So after Sportsman's Hop, we're going to hear a uh, a Hawkins tune called Ladies' Lullaby. Actually, I take it back. That's another Sir Charles Thompson tune. So two Thompson tunes, Sportsman's Hop and uh, Ladies' Lullaby. show you some of the uh, bebop influence that was coming in to the Hawkins band at this point. The Ash recordings were a little more progressive than the Capitol recordings, which were being aimed at a more mainstream market. So after Stardust and... um, stuffy. We will hear, as I said, those two ash tunes, Sportsman's Hop and Lady's Lullaby. And then we're going to finish up with a ballad from the second Capitol uh, session, from March 2nd of 1945. We're going to hear a great tune from the 1920s that uh, had a lot of legs as a ballad uh, going into the next several decades for jazz musicians. We're going to hear I'm Through With Love by Otto Kahn and uh, Maddie Malneck, the violinist. So, those are our five tunes for this session. We're going to hear uh, Stardust and Stuffy, followed by Sportsman's Hop and a Lady's Lullaby, and then I'm Through with Love. All Coleman Hawkins and his quintet or sextet. <laughs> So that was a beautiful performance of uh, that lovely ballad, I'm Through With Love, and we heard a little bit of an additional member of the group. I guess it was a septet at that point. We heard Vic Dickinson added on trombone. He had been playing, I believe at the time, with the Count Basie Band out on the West Coast, and uh, he and Hawkins had known each other certainly, so uh, he was brought in to add a little bit of uh, uh, solo voice, I guess, to the proceedings. Uh, That second session uh, for Capital, I believe, was the one that had quite an interesting story uh, attached to it in terms of personnel. I'll get to that in a minute, but let's mention what we heard already. So we started out with... Stardust and Stuffy the last two tunes of the February 23rd session for Capitol again featuring Howard McGee on trumpet some really beautiful playing on on both tunes by him in his uh, bebop style although he was uh, a very melodic player within that style maybe more so than most of the bebop players uh, Sir Charles Thompson as I mentioned was a great uh, piano player very harmonically aware and certainly a uh, somebody who knew uh, knew what was going on in the bebop world, even though he probably was a little bit more uh, inclined to swing himself. And then we heard Alan Royce on guitar, Oscar Petterford on bass, and Denzel Best on drums. Following that, we went back to New York uh, to the Ash Studios. Mo Ash was a, uh, a recording um, executive. I guess he had a small label called Ash that later became very well known as a folk label, but they did some fine jazz recordings as well, including this session, which produced six tunes on January 11th of 1945. Um, Howard McKee, Coleman Hawkins, Sir Charles Thompson, Denzel Best, and Eddie Robinson on bass. And we heard Sportsman's Hop and Lady's Lullaby, both Sir Charles Thompson tunes. The first one, as I said, seemed to have some monk influences with those uh, chromatic inflections in the A section and just some very... um, progressive playing by all hands, and Hawkins showing that he was very capable of uh, standing alongside the younger musicians, generation younger. Hawkins had been born in uh, 1904 in St. Joseph, Missouri. Uh, he was uh, well-trained as a musician. Apparently, he played some cello. He uh, knew piano and chords very well, and uh, came to New York by the early 1920s. He was playing with Mamie Smith's Jazz Hounds before joining Fletcher Henderson's band in 1923, and he became a uh member of the Henderson Band from 1923 till he left to go to Europe in 1934. He also did quite a few other uh, recording sessions as well and uh, spent about five years in Europe, uh, touring around in in France, England, and uh, Belgium, recording with a lot of different groups over there uh, before... Coming back in 1939, as the war clouds started to gather on the horizon, he made that great recording with uh, his big band of uh, Body and Soul. The big band hardly featured on that. It was just the rhythm section in him for most of it. And that became one of the um, standout recordings of all jazz history. It showed that a ballad could be played uh, in jazz tempo, in a slow tempo, uh, without even referring to the melody uh, after a while. Hawkins was... uh, uniquely able to play on the chords of a tune, which was something that hadn't been explored greatly except by piano players, of course. The chief influence in jazz up to that point was, of course, Louis Armstrong, who was a melodic improviser through and through. But Hawkins uh, thought more vertically than horizontally, and he uh, derived great inspiration from complicated and interesting chord changes, as we're hearing on some of these songs today. By the early 40s, he was uh, leading small groups on 52nd Street. As I said, he started using some of the younger musicians like Dizzy Gillespie and uh, uh, Howard McGee, Thelonious Monk, uh, Oscar Pettiford even could be considered a younger musician, who were looking forward to the next era of bebop. And his uh, ears and uh, intellect were always open to new things. So by the time he went out to uh, California in early 1945, he was known as one of the most significant figures in jazz. And this group that he had uh, was a very well-oiled machine. They had a great book of tunes by Hawkins and uh, Sir Charles Thompson and arrangements of pop tunes and things like that. As I said, these Capitol recordings were a little more conservative than the Ash recordings were, a lot more conservative. pop tunes and ballad performances and so forth, but uh, a few jazz tunes thrown in. The story that I alluded to earlier was that on one of these sessions, and I believe it was the second session, um, McGee, Howard McGee, showed up uh, under the weather, as the euphemism goes. Uh, Dave Dexter said he was either drunk or on narcotics or something, and he was non-communicative and he couldn't play very well. Um, So Dexter called a friend of his, Red Nichols, who had played cornet and led a lot of jazz bands in the 1920s. A white jazz musician, he uh, employed uh, Benny Goodman, Glenn Miller, countless other white jazz musicians. He was a, uh, a pit band director as well as a very active recording uh, musician as well. He lived out on the West Coast. He had uh, been doing some war work in in factories during World War II, and he was just getting back into playing. He was a very uh, accomplished technical cornet player, but he certainly was not uh, open to the ideas of being bebop. Even swing was a little bit uh, uh, beyond him at times. He was very much rooted in the 1920s. So he, uh, Red Nichols, came over to play the ensemble parts on some of these tunes, and apparently it was a catastrophe because the bebop-oriented heads that Hawkins needed him to do were, were beyond him as well, even as good a musician as Red Nichols was. And that caused some merriment from Howard McGee, and uh, different people had re- remembered that uh, situation in different ways. Um, The reason I think it was this session is that uh, McGee really didn't do a whole lot on this session. He played on the next tune we're going to hear, which is the Hollywood Stampede. I can't believe this was the tune that Red Nichols couldn't play. It's uh, based on Sweet Georgia Brown. It's not a very difficult one, but perhaps. Uh, And then McGee kind of stands aside, and Vic Dickinson takes up a lot of the solo mantle, as he did on I'm Through With Love. So we're going to hear, as I said, Hollywood Stampede, which is a... a, um, version of Sweet Georgia Brown done by Coleman Hawkins. Then we're going to hear another Vernon Duke tune and and Yip Harburg tune called What Is There to Say, featuring another beautiful ballad performance. And then uh, a Harry Barris tune from about 1930 called Wrap Your Troubles in Dreams, done in a nice medium tempo. And then we're going to go on to the third session, the last session of these capital things, uh, March 9th of 1945. We're going to hear Too Much of a Good Thing, followed by It's the Talk of the Town. Too Much of a Good Thing is yet another Hawkins uh, composition. And of course, It's the Talk of the Town was another ballad that had been done by Hawkins earlier in his career, about 1933. This was one of his earliest ballad recordings. He had done it with the Fletcher Henderson and sort of put him on the map as a performer of that uh, nature. So those are the tunes we're going to hear right now. We're going to hear Hollywood Stampede. What is there to say? Wrap your troubles in dreams. Too much of a good thing. And it's the talk of the town. (laughs) ¶¶ Performance there, as uh, I mentioned, Hawkins had recorded that. about 12 years earlier in 1933, and that was a version of It's the Talk of the Town from the third session, the March 9th session, as was the previous tune, uh, Too Much of a Good Thing. These are all riff-based tunes, a lot of them based on standards. Uh, No blues in here. Hawkins was not known as a uh, very compelling or compulsive blues player, I guess. He did uh, uh, did play them on occasion, of course, but uh, he tended more towards sophisticated forms and pop tunes. Started out with a Hollywood stampede, uh, that version of Sweet Georgia Brown uh, featuring Howard McGee and Vic Dickinson as well on trombone. And then we went to uh, What Is There to Say, mostly featuring Hawkins on that one, and then Wrap Your Troubles in Dreams, sort of a medium bounce tune, uh, of a standard from the early 1930s. And uh, some good work by Sir Charles Thompson on here. Also on What Is There to Say by uh, Oscar Pettiford on bass. Pettiford was a, a really terrific bass player. He was only about 23 at the time of these sessions, even though he'd been around for quite a bit. He would played with Charlie Barnett's band and uh, a lot of combos. He'd had a uh, long career with his family band which was a, a, an African-American vaudeville type of group played in the minstrel uh, tent shows and so forth and also on, on stage but he became one of the best bass players in jazz and by the 1950s he had added cello to his, his uh, arsenal as well uh, he died fairly young uh, only in about 40 or so uh, of a disease that apparently had something to do with polio so fortunately he left quite a few excellent recordings so after Wrap Your Troubles and Dreams, as I said, we went to that third session, heard too much of a good thing, and it's the talk of the town. So we're going to uh, play two more tunes for you from this group. Uh, I was going to see if I could capture part of the soundtrack of that film, The Crimson Canary, but that's pretty easily accessible on YouTube. If you're interested, you can get on there and see what the band looked like while they played. That was the the quintet, the uh, McGee and Hawkins, along with Sir Charles Thompson, Oscar Pettiford, and Denzel Best, without Alan Royce or... Um, Vic Dickinson. But Royce was added, as I said, for all three of these sessions. He was a friend of Dave Dexter's, and uh, he really did add quite a lot. He was a fine guitar player and from a rhythm guitar standpoint, but also uh, could take some very compelling solos. Very, very good player. So the two tunes we're going to finish up with, to round us up uh, to our uh, hour-long tribute to Coleman Hawkins and uh, his group uh, traveling out to the West Coast in uh, the late winter, early spring of 1945, we're going to hear Someone to Watch Over Me, the great Gershwin tune, another fine ballad performance by Hawkins, and then Bean Soup, another Coleman Hawkins tune. So, thank you very much. You're listening to WETF, uh, South Bend, Indiana, the Jazz Station. My name is John Clark, and this is The Jazz Focus.